For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to a special guest episode of That Trippy Show. For the next few Tuesday shows, we're going to be welcoming in our friends in critical states to give us a deep dive update on what they're seeing. So each week from here through Election Day on Tuesdays, you know, you want to listen to the deep dive. This week, Ohio. Alex and I asked our old friends, Chris Gibbs and David Pepper, to come on. David is the former chair of the Ohio Democratic Party. You probably remember our chat with him about his book, Laboratories of Autocracy. Highly recommend you read it. And Chris ran for Congress as an independent against Jim Jordan and really understands Ohio's electorate, especially with a candidate like Tim Ryan on the ballot and how to attract Republicans who are fed up with MAGA to move across party lines. Uh, I think Chris's perspective is critical. Alex, where do you want to get started? Well, I want to to kick it to you guys first, but really let's talk about the Senate race. I think that's what most of our listeners are going to be most interested in. So where do you guys see it right now? Obviously, I think the last big reputable national poll was Siena. I think it had Tim Ryan up 46-43 on on Vance, but uh, people are starting to say that it's tightening. What do you guys think? Let me start. Yeah, this is Dave Pepper. Um, yeah, I, I'd say that's probably the case. I mean, I would basically think it's it's a toss up and tied at this point. I will say in, you know, in recent elections, um, polling, at least where Democrats were slightly ahead, Republicans overperformed on Election Day. There was some turnout that was missed. So if, if Tim's up by three, uh, I would say it's pretty much uh, tied. Now, people might say, well, how, how's you know, how could that be? The answer is in a midterm where we don't have the White House, the fact that it's tied is actually quite stunning. This is a race that my guess is Mitch McConnell a year and a half ago, if you had told him he'd be having to dump tens of millions into Ohio to save Rob Portman's Senate seat, he would have A, not believed you, and B, thought it was really bad news. And I think, you know, Tim is a very strong candidate. I think Chris, he's campaigning everywhere, as Chris would talk about. And I think J.D. Vance is proving to be an incredibly weak candidate with similarities to some of the other weak candidates out there. And that's giving an opportunity in Ohio that I think uh, people are actually surprised is even there. So, but but that all being said, I think it's pretty much uh, up in the air, and it's going to come down to the last you know month of TV, get out the vote, uh, ground game, et cetera. Yeah, Alex, Chris Gibbs. Hey, Dave is exactly right. This thing is going to be close. It's going to be right down. This is not a walk away for either of these candidates. And uh, Tim Ryan's out there doing the right thing. He's talking to folks. He's shaking hands. He's going into rural areas. We can talk about that later. But he's doing everything right. And I'll tell you what, McConnell has dumped, as we know, millions into this, what, $28 million, and it's showing up. It's showing up on TV. It's showing up on uh, on media. And I'm so damn tired of hearing about taxing Tim Ryan. <laughs> that's That's been the message. And But you know what? 
they always pair that <laughs> uh, either on the cable channels or what have you. They always pair that with Tim's message. And Tim comes along and he says, you know what? He, he's standing in front of a group of boaters and, and uh, working class people. And he says, you know what? Heck with this, this culture war stuff. He points to the American flag and he said, this is our team. This is what we need to be fighting for. We need to be fighting for jobs. We need to be taking on China, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he always sticks to message. That's his key. He's very, very disciplined. Well, Chris, that's what I, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about it, it is the rural thing. Because, I mean, I know that, uh, you know, as a farmer uh, and working with having worked with you in the past, it, you, you know, you get that community. Is Ryan connecting with them in, in your view enough to, to move some of them up? Or and and also is it that JD isn't one of them? I mean, in in your view, how do how do those two things connect? I mean, JD's really- yeah. We'll, we'll start we'll start with JD. JD's an outsider. He'll he'll stand right up and say um, he doesn't know anything about agriculture, and, and that's fine. He doesn't feel he, he doesn't feel right um, in in a rural setting. But I'll tell you what, I'm glad you asked me that because I got an antidote about about Tim. This is actual what happened on my farm. And what a great story here. The campaign called and they said, hey, Chris, we're doing these uh, these roundtables with folks. You know, they went to different disciplines, maybe nurses, maybe labor, you know, what have you. And we want to do a roundtable with eight or 10 farmers um, on your farm. I said, sure, no problem. I'm thinking in the back of my head, eight or 10. That's lame. I said, how about 30? I said, I got all kinds of lists. I've had Kasich through my farm. I've had Portman through my farm. I've had John Houston through my farm. My God, I had Jim Jordan, for Christ's sake, but I, he wasn't invited. He just showed up. <laughs> but so, so, so I've got I've got lists of people that I can call, farmers that, that I've had that, that I trust. So I get on the phone and I start calling people. I called 30 farmers and agribusiness folks. And every one of them, I, I set, set them up. I said, hey, my Congressman Tim Ryan coming to my farm next Tuesday or whenever it was, two o'clock. He wants to spend an hour and talk about agriculture. You want to come? Sure, absolutely. That was number one. Sure, absolutely. Because 80% of these people, 80% of these farmers that I called were Republicans. They said, sure, we'll be there. 28 of them showed up. And, and Tim did three things, three things that were so simple. Number one, he showed up, which unfortunately for the Democratic Party has been a little bit tough for the last 15 years. They haven't showed up in rural America. They haven't showed up in these ruby red counties. That's a whole nother story. We can discuss it. But but Tim knew better. He showed up and he not only showed up, he showed up on time. I mean, to the minute, which respected me and my family that set this up and respected all 30 or 35 people by the time you had media. He showed up. He talked for five minutes sat down on a lawn chair. Everybody else was sitting on hay bales, straw bales. He talked for five minutes, never said the word J.D. Vance, never said the word Democrat, never said the word Republican, never said the word abortion, never said anything. He said this, hi, I'm Tim Ryan, Congressman Tim Ryan. I've been a congressman in the Mahoney Valley Valley for whatever that's for our listeners. That's Northeast Ohio, kind of in the Rust Belt. He says, it's not a big agricultural district. I need to know what I need to take to the Senate from you folks. You are the experts. Tell me what I need to know. What can I do for you? He listened 75 minutes, 75 minutes. You would have thought it was a Thanksgiving dinner, back and forth, back and forth, talking to people. 
There was Farm Bureau folks there, which would have been traditionally Republican votes, you know, for sure. Listened, talked, come to an understanding. You know you've got a good event. When 20 minutes after the little 21-year-old poli-sci people that are always following them around to make sure the campaign stays on time, when they say we're leaving and people are still hanging around 20 minutes later, that's when I know, that's when I knew he had them because he showed up, number one, which to these folks proved that he didn't have horns and he didn't have a tail and he never talked about his opponent, never talked about politics. He only talked about what he could do for them. That's the message. That's the kind of Democrat candidate we need. That's the way to win rural America. So, David, in your experience, having kind of been on the side of a lot of these bigger statewide campaigns, how, how do Democrats balance that kind of need to talk to both the rural agricultural, but also get to where, you know, for example, Tim Ryan's strength, right? Coming from that manufacturing side of things and, and figuring out that balance to win statewide. It's a great question. And the, the answer is very simple. In Ohio, you have to do both or you don't win. If you go back and look at Obama's numbers, uh, he, he held his losses in rural red Ohio to around 40%, which allowed him to, with his blue numbers, win. But if you don't get to the red areas and you ignore them, then you fall or you offend them somehow, then you get into the low 30s, high 20s. And no matter how well you do in Cincinnati, Cleveland, Columbus, you cannot win. So you, you have to do it. And, and here's the other thing I think that Democrats sometimes lose sight of. There are some common frustrations around, uh, uh, around all of these places. Uh, uh, now, they don't seem common at, at, at first blush, but if you look at the state of things in Ohio, larger cities are struggling and small towns are struggling, and often they're struggling for the same reason. So the, in addition to going there, the truth is you don't have to micro-target every single message in order to speak to each one. There's a commonality in some of the decay that we're seeing in places like Ohio and I think the best candidates not only see that, but communicate that. Uh, so it, it shouldn't have to be this really difficult choice. Do I go here or there? And what do I say? It's, I need to be in all these places. Ohio, the math in Ohio requires it. And there's certain core messages that I, you know, my wife grew up in Adams County, small town, one of the most poor counties in the state. I'm there all the time. There are things that, that I could say there that would apply just as much in a larger city around infrastructure in schools and the opioid crisis. And so I think it's people being smart enough to see all that and going to enough places that they understand that. And as Chris said, listen enough so they also understand that. Okay. You know, Tim Ryan's been everywhere, as best I can tell. I mean, he's campaigning everywhere, as, as Chris said, you know, uh, in, in ag, you know, rural areas, uh, cities, moving around uh, and campaigning hard. On the other hand, J.D.'s sort of been missing in in action, I mean, uh, uh, what is he doing? I mean, is he is he campaigning? Is it all just television? I mean, what what's the what's the style of the JD Vance campaign? Yeah, well, well, David might be able to answer that better, but I, I can tell you this from a uh, from just my perspective here, and people that talk to me, they say we've never seen him. Where's JD Vance at? It's like where's Waldo? And so that that is an is an indication that they haven't seen him, haven't seen him in the paper. You know, maybe he was he was out early, stopped at uh, some little rally or something. But uh, those end up being photo ops and you don't see that's my perception is end up being photo ops 
and you don't see him really shaking hands, getting down and dirty, where, where Tim is out there with union folks. Uh, gee whiz, this last Saturday was a was an OSU football game, and he not only made that game, he made another game, he made uh, a rally. He made, I think he was at four different places, Dave. Where was he at? He was everywhere. I think he was at the crew uh, game, last Saturday. the soccer yeah, game. Yeah, there it is, crew, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say the same thing that, that you know, it's amazing, too, because Tim is a sitting house member. J.D. is not, and Tim is still far more present. But I would say the other thing is, if you look at the way that J.D. won the primary, he won it kind of on the cheap at the last second with Peter Thiel and, mm -hmm. and Donald Trump. And campaigns these days, fundraising, volunteers, they are sort of the gradually growing curve. So the later you start building that curve, the more you cut off when it explodes and JD, you know, Tim started right away and he was building, you know, thousands of supporters and thousands of volunteers and JD was doing nothing. Like, I don't know what he was. He was basically, he was going to lose that primary until Teal and Trump bailed him out, but he never built up a strong base of support or volunteers or, or, or small dollar donors. So right now, and you can't see me doing this, but if you look at that curve, Tim is at the far side of that curve where his level of supporters is huge because he's been building it for a year and a half. So one answer to your question, Joe, is JD's not spending his time raising money, or at least not very effectively, because Tim is vastly outraising him because JD doesn't have a real sort of base of support because he never built it in the primary. So he, he'll show up making appearances, but he won't have the volunteer network. He doesn't have like Tim presses sent on an email at this point or tweets it. He raises tons of money because he spent almost two years building up an army of small dollar supporters that Vance never built up. And if he started building up after the primary, it's far too late. So I think the, the way that each approached the primary, you see it now more clearly. Now, again, this is why McConnell had to come in. Right. He's trying to bail out a very bad candidate who hadn't done the most basic legwork that you normally see. Now, one other thing that's happening, again, this is close. I don't want anyone to re read me wrong, but you look at Ohio, Generally, Ohio does not like people who kind of come in from the outside to save the day. I mean, the most amazing example of this for me is that John Glenn lost his first primary, and he was already the most famous guy in Ohio. And so I think Ohioans want people to earn it. They reward people who stick at it over time, you know, like a Mike DeWine, the current governor, I'll, I'll just concede. And so I think there's also sort of a hesitance to say, you know, you wrote a book, you lived out West, you're coming back, you have no footprint, you got bailed out by a billionaire. Ohio in the past has, has never rewarded that kind of behavior, even when it was John Glenn. And so I think Tim's hard work is winning maybe people over because he's doing it the way that Ohioans sort of respect versus the guy who seems to be sort of flying in from the outside, hoping to sort of just have lightning strike for him and all of a sudden he's a u.s senator with absolutely no base in ohio at least for decades in the past so you know cnn cnn has this uh this the senate seat is the eighth most likely seat to flip which i i agree with you david if he had said that to mcconnell you know a, a year ago he, he'd say we we're all crazy and of course McConnell's throwing all this money in for a bad candidate after he said that the whole reason they're having problems is candidate quality. I think he had J.D. Vance at the top of his mind when he made that statement. And that's also why he has to throw so much money to try to save it, which just the fact that he's trying to save it, that he's been in that position, uh, is amazing. So it's a real testament to Tim, the campaign 
Tim Ryan's been running. But okay, you're now both advisors to Ryan for these last weeks. What do you, what do you what do you tell him to do, or what do we need to do as as supporters of his to help get him over the line? Uh, you know, with five weeks left to go. Yeah, yeah. For for, for me, I, I got to tell you. You know, and if I was a nurse, I'd say he needs to focus on nurses. If I was a teacher, you know, we've all got our disciplines. For my discipline out here in rural America as a farmer, I think he needs to go right after rural America. He needs to, or rural Ohio, I should say, and particularly farmers. And for me, I'd say use the Trump model. We love you. I love you. You're all patriots. That's what Trump did. And farmers all across the nation let him destroy three decades of goodwill market transactions <laughs> for our overseas market with, with all of our traditional trading partners. And he, th- those farmers let, let him do that just because he said, I love you. You know, if Tim was out there, if I was, if I was advising him, and, and I'm not, but I'd say, tell you what, I spent, this is Tim, you know, I spent all summer going to 88 counties, all these rural communities across the state, met with farmers. Um, I found them, what would I say, resourceful, resilient, practical. And above all, I found them proud. And I'd get out on real TV and keep hammering that home of how much he had respect for the hardworking national security interest of Ohio rural agriculture. That's what I would do. So, so you, you, and to finish your question, what, what could somebody do in the national scale? Hey, you got a pack out there. You got a super pack out there. Let's bring in a couple hundred thousand dollars. Let's buy rural TV for, for the next 30, 30 days. Rock and roll. We can make this message and take it home because this is a race of small numbers. You're not going to get all of rural America. You're not going to get all the farmers. It's ruby red. 3%, 4%. Get their wife. Get their wife. Right. But you. like David said, getting from 35 to 40, 41, 42 matters a lot. David, why don't your take though, too? Yeah. I mean, I'll just uh, bookend that. Uh, I mean, I agree with that. I think Tim's done that well. If I were Tim, though, I'd also be very, to, to go to the, uh, the, the sort of the other part of our state, I would be very much talking to Joyce Beatty, Chantel Brown. Uh, the new mayor of Cincinnati, the new mayor of Cleveland, what's turnout there? What can I do to make sure it's high enough? Because if you don't have this, you know, o- Obama was behind in Ohio in 87 counties, and then Cuyahoga County comes in, and he wins by 90,000 votes because he won by so much. The Democrats' problem in past midterms has been that our urban turnout has been too low since Obama. It, it doesn't necessarily need to be as high as a presidential, but if I were Tim, I would make sure that we that he's also connecting in a way that people are energized, they see what's at stake, and they're turning out there. Because if they aren't, then those narrower losses in rural Ohio don't get him over the top either. And I and you know, we have a contested race for Congress in Cincinnati. We can talk about that, which may drive turnout up and may lead to a good field effort. In other parts of the state, there's not as much on the ballot. And my worry would be if I were Tim in the back of my head, what are we doing to make sure we're getting our base turnout up? So that those narrow margins that Chris is talking about getting to actually count towards a victory as opposed to a narrower loss because Democrats didn't show up enough enough. So I would be very I would be focused like like a laser on that as well. Has there been a just out of curiosity, has there been any shift in energy or increased energy since the Dobbs decision in Ohio or or is that 
Because some states, it, it, it seems to have had a lot of, inter- like we saw in Kansas, for example, uh, it was on the ballot. Uh, but in other states like Florida, it does not seem to have uh, had as much impact. Did you get any, you have any sense of an energy shift or, or, or not there? I'll say that, I mean, we see it in turnout numbers when, when some of these turnout experts who are always looking at these numbers look at registrations. We were one of the states with one of the, one of the highest levels of a turnout response among women, among younger women. Um, you know, the way that Kansas, right. you saw that happen. We did see that. I also do think since Dobbs, and, and I, I don't, you know, I don't want to act like this is scientific. I think Tim has seemed to be doing better in the polling since then, that it did lead to some consolidation with some voters that took him from being around tied to, to looking like he's been up by a couple. And, and, you know, one thing about J.D. Vance is, again, this is a guy, he's a rookie running for Senate. So he has said so many things that, that you do not want a mo- you do not want to be saying in a general election around abortion, around domestic violence. So I think between Dobbs and some of the things where, where you know, even Mitch McConnell would say, just like he told Lindsey Graham, hey, don't bring up this national abortion ban with a month ago. I think he would probably be saying to J.D. Vance, this, the things you are saying, you're not in a primary anymore. Stop acting like you are. And so I think between Dobbs and some of the toxic things that Vance has said, I think those have boosted Ryan. And we are seeing some grassroots response in terms of women, younger women. And we know that back to the point I made about cities before, we know that Dobbs' decision is having a big impact in terms of the thinking of African-American voters about what's at stake. So we're seeing some of that, yeah. I, I hope that's right. And let, let's hope that it isn't like, um, you know, being a high state university grad talking about OSU football, you never want to peak too early before the Michigan game. And my gut is that Dobbs peaked just a fuzz too early. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm not here to blow sunshine up your skirt and I'll just tell you, tell you straight. That's my gut. So I hope that's not the case, but of course, hope's, hope's not a business you, plan. And you may be right. I, I don't disagree. I mean, it, it feels like, you know, with, with, uh, flying of folks to Martha's Vineyard, which was clearly an intentional effort to change the subject and economics. I do think that, that, you know, my hope is there's sort of a hidden energy around the, the, the electorate most affected by it. That's still there, even though I agree with Chris, it's a little, now Ohio's had some pretty horrific examples of post Dobbs with the 10 year old rape victim. So it has been front of mind um, the, the current Republican governor has sort of skated. He doesn't talk about it. He sort of scrubbed his website. It's, so it's still there. But yeah, I think compared to even weeks ago, it seems to be a little less. Uh, but I, I still think it could be shaping some of the energy. And it certainly shaped some registration. We've seen real data on that. So, David, you, you, you just mentioned DeWine. I want to get into some of these other sure. races. I know DeWine's pretty solidly ahead. Um, for reasons we can get into and maybe come back to at the end. But I want to talk about a couple house races, uh, two two really interesting ones, one being that the, the first district, which for our listeners is just north right. of Cincy. I want your take on that. And then and then whatever the hell happened to J.R. Majewski and how he might have blown a, a pickup seat yeah. there. So let's start in the first district, though. So the first thing we should say, and you, if you follow me on Twitter, I talk about this a lot. We, we, you know, the, the, the whole process of drawing these maps has been an absolute nightmare. And I won't get into all that and bore people with that, but it has been. But despite that, because they weren't able to split cities like they used to, Cincinnati, the first, went from being a, you know, a slight lead for a shab in terms of drawing the district to actually a pretty decent Democratic district. So unless the bottom falls out, I think you're going to see Steve Shabbat lose. 
Um, and and uh, I just, you know, it's a demo, it's a, it's a district that now is a Biden, like it's not plus 10, but I think it's plus eight, but even the Republican part of that district, it's not like r- rural MAGA style, it's suburbia. So even those Republicans, you know, are, are not folks who are looking at Shabbat's vote on January 6th, where he didn't want to certify the election, uh, his, his stance on abortion and birth control. Even the moderate Republicans from the suburbs, this is not the guy that fits into their view of what a Republican should be. So I think that's a decent pickup opportunity. Um, yeah, I think that the district that's tougher for Democrats has been all year, the, the ninth, with Marcy Kaptur. And I would say, based on the gerrymandering, Marcy Kaptur is probably the only Democrat who, in theory, could have protected that district. And this Majewski guy imploding has made that protection, I think, far more likely. Although, as I told my friends up there, I would take nothing for granted. Uh, nothing. Mm-hmm. Him, him having those problems. I mean, we see Trump won Ohio by eight with all sorts of problems. I, 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 he won that district by a few. So just just because the guy lied and because he got that DUI and all that, I mean, I think Mar- I think Marcy's a very strong candidate. This clearly gives her some help. Even Kevin McCarthy apparently got cold feet. But I, I would keep fighting. The other one that's possible, although, again, the gerrymandering makes it harder, is the district uh, around Akron, where you have a state House member named Amelia Sykes running. All I know is the Republicans are spending a lot of money attacking her. And this is, again, one that was a little bit less. This is sort of some of the remains of Ryan's old district, although it's now more Akron-centric. I do think you know that in a very good year, that's a winner. If we win that district, Marcy's and Greg Landsman, the first district, um, happens to be a longtime friend of mine, that would be a very good sign of Democrats keeping the House, by the way. Uh, so I'd look at those three as sort of bellwethers. If we win one, it's probably a problem. If we win two or three, we, we probably are having a good night overall. So that's the first, the ninth, and the 13th, folks, for you listeners out there trying yeah. to keep track of, of the three to look for on election night uh, and see how we, do, we, we, we move. So are there any other races in the state, uh, legislative or otherwise, that, that you think we should be looking at or be aware of? I mean, I, I would say, I, you know, we, we've been through a, this sort of nightmare of a districting process. And this is also with this whole independent state legislative doctrine that's being talked about. The, you know, we have seen, especially since Dobbs, a focus on Supreme Court seats in states because you know, depending on your view of the world, they're, they're either the last place to protect democracy itself and the rule of law or, you know, personal rights, uh, because state level constitutions might be where they could be protected, even if it's not the federal level. We have in the last two years, and I was proud of this as chair, we took a 7-0 court and made it three Democrats, three Republicans and a Republican chief justice. There is an opportunity this November to add one or two Democrats or to actually lose because the chief justice who's been a moderate Republican is aged out. So that I think beyond the Senate race with the, the and, and the House races, the stakes of this Supreme Court race could literally be, you know, do people have a right to choose in Ohio or don't they? And will there be a new map in Ohio for Congress in the state house? And will it be more gerrymandered than the current one or less gerrymandered as soon as 2024? And that could all come down to do Democrats manage to unseat one of two Republican incumbents in the Ohio Supreme Court? One of those incumbents, by the way, is the son of Mike DeWine. He's a sitting justice who refuses to recuse himself from cases involving his dad as a defendant. 
which is, you know, as a lawyer, I can tell you an absolute ethical nightmare, a complete breach of the rules. And so I think Ohioans also might look at that and say, well, we may vote for the father, but a son voting for his dad's cases repeatedly, that just doesn't strike us as right. If Mike, if Pat DeWine loses, it flips the result of that entire court with all the consequences that follow. So those are going to be a big focus in the final month. So, Chris, I, I want your take on this because, David, you just touched on it. But so you've got Mike DeWine, who's pretty popular. Again, he's ahead in the polls. I, I would say we'd probably all on this call grudgingly admit he has done the work and gone a lot of, to a lot of places. And people know him. How do you kind of how, how does Ohio reconcile sending a Tim Ryan to the Senate, maybe flipping a Supreme Court seat or two with having a popular Republican governor? How do we how do we kind of overcome th- those? Not a headwind, but how, how do you how do you make the case that you got to split your ticket? Calling him a popular governor, he was really popular during the pandemic at the beginning uh, because he was actually trying to do the right thing. You, you could tell he was trying to do the right thing. And then the wheels kind of fell off of that. So I don't have any trouble at all splitting the, splitting the ticket. And, and I got I to gotta tell you what, what I'm working on is an organization called the Welcome Pack. And we're doing a, a roadshow across Ohio. And this is the kind of thing that we're talking about is maybe it's splitting the ticket. We're not going to talk about the governor's race, but we've put together a, a batch of Republicans Old Republican, or excuse me, traditional Republicans, myself as was a Republican, to talk to media, to talk to people in in Columbus and Cincinnati, Youngstown, other places, Toledo, and say, hey, here's what you can do to make a difference, to to push back on these extremist positions, to push back on these extreme candidates. And specifically, we're talking about J.D. Vance and, and, and the guy in, uh, up in Captors District. Here's what you can do. You can vote for Tim Ryan. You, you are welcome to do that. And here's why. And we understand why you haven't been doing it in the past. We're going to leave Mike DeWine alone. That's, that's its own gig. So on the Supreme Court uh races is that is this like something people are focused on in the state in other words i haven't seen any coverage nationwide you know in the national bazaar are the people get grasp the importance of those of those races yeah i mean so wh- when i became chair we had lost them i'm sure chris was happy at this point we had lost them over <laughs> and over and over we lost one when obama won and the problem then was that democrats didn't understand the importance and which we didn't have party ID on the ballot then. And so people would get to these races and they would often just stop voting or they'd vote for someone, you know, there's a justice named Kennedy. They'd vote for Kennedy thinking he was a Democrat. And so when I became chair, I began to put a ton of time and money into slate cards, sample ballots. I put our justice candidates at the beginning of the program, not at the end to say, don't forget to vote for me. And all of a sudden, because Democrats began to be the people that actually stuck to their ballot more than Republicans. We picked up two seats in 18, and we even won a seat by 10 points in 2020, even when Trump won by eight. So Democrats started to pay attention, and it was, it was part of it was because they were con- concerned about gerrymandering. Now, here's the interesting thing, and this is how our Ohio State House works. Because they were so frustrated that we were winning because we got our people to pay attention, they changed the rules to add voter, they add party ID to the ballot. And now you also see, you also see um, national Republican groups now understanding 
that this is really important. So the, the National Republican legislating, Legislature Group just said they're going to spend $2 million in Ohio on these races, and some other groups are doing the same. So people understand it. We did get our voters to pay attention to it. That's why we won them the last couple cycles. And so I think it might, it might reach more of a level of, of paying attention to than people realize. But because now it's a party label to it, and I don't like this. I'm a lawyer. I don't, I don't want this to be as partisan as a state house. I think that's a terrible thing, even, even though I'm a Democrat. The, these things should not be viewed. But the Republicans are so upset that voters actually voted for someone that wasn't a Republican, and they're furious, I think Chris would acknowledge. They want to impeach the Republican chief justice because she voted their maps unconstitutional. They literally think that is like a sin that they now want to make these races as partisan as everything else in Ohio, which I think is a step backward. So I think there is going to be a lot of engagement. My guess is there'll be as much TV and other investment in these races in the final month as in the governor's race, at least on our side, and probably more than any of the other down ballot races because of the stakes. Uh, and because there's a history lately where even though we didn't win the governor's race in 18, we won the two Supreme Court. We knocked off two Republican seats and we did another one in 20. So the stakes are huge. I think people are paying attention more than they would have in the past and more than you probably would expect. That's what I'm doing with the Think for Yourself Roadshow is to give people permission to vote for Democratic candidates. Give people that traditionally that, that are that know that the, the GOP has completely collapsed, that all of those values, diplomacy, statesmanship, compassion, conservatism, personal responsibility, every one of those values has collapsed and is gone. It was all a lie. No, it wasn't a lie. It was a damn lie. And but they want a different candidate. They want permission to be able to vote for a Democratic candidate. And that's what we're that's trying to great. do. That's what I'm trying to do. Talk about, talk around the state and give folks permission and ask them, say, hey, this is a safe bet. This is a safe candidate. Tim Ryan is your guy. That's great. And, and I think in this case, uh, uh, guys, like one of the real, we have seen this almost a, a nonstop attack on the rule of law in Ohio that this court race sort of encompasses now. The state house for the last year has simply violated the, not just the Ohio Constitution, but direct Supreme Court orders about how to draw the maps. And in, and this is getting to the kind of extremism. I mean, we're at a point where the rule of law is in on its last breath in Ohio because the state house has gotten away for a year with simply not following court orders. And, and the one reason that they've done that is because they changed the rules of how you elect the court. And they want to wait until they get a court that will undo the rulings they don't like. And if they succeed in that, we literally are at a point where the rule of law was literally upended in Ohio and, and, and they succeeded. So I think getting back, you know, to the extent you have more moderate minds that say, well, that's not how our, that's something you see in Eastern Europe, a, a just defiance of a, the highest court of your state. That's not acceptable in Ohio. And that lack of rule of law is leading to extremism that even moderate Republicans can't support. You know, a son voting for his dad's cases. That's not something that most people think makes sense. And so my hope is that there is a ticket. And to your question about ticket splitting, I think it was Alex. We have a very long history of ticket splitting in Ohio. You know, Portman, Sherrod. Uh, DeWine wins in Ohio by, in 18, by four. Sherrod wins by seven. Trump wins by eight. Bruner, our justice, wins by 10. So there's kind of a history here Good where point. there is Good some point. balance. So, Chris, what you're trying to do 
at least looking at history, has been done many times because I think those independent, you want to know why DeWine's doing a little better and Ryan's doing a little better? They're both doing a lot better with independents and they both have a purchase on some voters in the other party. And those sort of middle voters seem to be ones that over, over the years have been comfortable splitting their ticket. Guys, Joe, unless you got anything else, that's just about all the time we've got today. No, look, I was going to say there's a, a bunch of lessons in all this. One of them is, uh, I mean, nationally, uh, some lessons to learn. One is, uh, and this is a problem the party, I think, has had just about everywhere, vote, stay in the booth, vote all the way down, particularly in this election. Mm-hmm. Uh, secretaries of state, a lot of people go vote for governor and Senate and then walk in with states where they elect the secretary of state. They, they don't get even that far down the ballot and walk out. And those races are critical, as are these Supreme Court races in, in Ohio. And the other one is to welcome those in the pro-democracy coalition into voting with Democrats this time, it, even if it's just datas for, for one election or two, to welcome them uh, in, into the and give them uh, uh, off-ramps away from uh, the extremists that, that, that currently make up the base of the and the controlling base uh, of the Republican Party, I think. Though, but it, it, and and the last thing, I just w- really want to thank both of you for all the work you're doing in Ohio and have done to really help educate people. You know, David, your your uh, your whiteboards. I try to I try to uh, uh, retweet those whenever I, I see one, and and folks should uh, should follow uh, both uh, uh, David and Chris on Twitter, and we'll include their uh, handles in our show notes. Uh, But thank you both for being on. Thanks, everyone, for listening to That Trippy Show. We'll be back this Friday with our usual show. Please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. You can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at Gmail or leave us a question in a review on iTunes. See you next time. Thanks again, David and Chris. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.